This morning's reading is Luke 24, verse 36 to 53. You can find it on page 885 of the Church Bibles. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveled, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing him. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you, Callum and Isaac and our musicians for leading us. Just before we begin and we complete our studies in Luke's Gospel, just one or two other comments to make. Isaac was referring in his prayer to lots of people who train here for ministry. For those of you who are visitors to Chalmers, we have two programs, one called the MAP program, which is an apprenticeship program, and then a more senior one called Leaders in Training. And one of the, the real burdens we have as a church is to train and send people into gospel work, uh, not simply in this country, but uh, around uh, the world. Um, just to encourage you, there is a growing uh, movement and burden to that end across Scotland. Um, there are more people training for ministry now than there have been at any time in the last 20 or 30 years. And while the numbers are small, these are welcome encouragements in challenging uh, times. And equally, people being sent to the nations of the earth in obedience to God's uh, command. And uh, it's fitting that we come to that in our studies in Luke uh, today. Second thing I want to say is that uh, as much as the summer is not a, a downtime for many people, and it's important that we keep 
church rhythm going, but in a different way. People, um, people don't get sick and ill always when there are lots of people around. And in the church family at the moment, there are a number of people who are uh, really unwell with various things. And two of our um, saints who, between them, have 196 years on this earth, um, very close to glory. And uh, when people come to the point, this is Dick Anderson and Mary Burke. Uh, Dick is a youngster at 95 and a half. Uh, Mary is 101.3. When people come to the end of their life, There's that strange environment that they are in. They're very sick. Both of them are very sick, very frail. And we long, rightly, that they leave this world and go to glory. But the journey there is far from simple. And the journey for them is hard. And the journey for those who stand with them and love them is as hard. And uh, many of us have been involved in these situations you have in your own lives over the years. And what I want to do this morning is just front up to that and encourage you with the Robertsons and with Joe and Anne and others as they care for Mary, uh, just to be around them, to love them, to put your foot in it, to say, how are you when you know how they are, um, and to pray for them and to care for them and to love them. And we can't all be in these hospital wards. Uh, Dick has COVID. The ward has COVID. Uh, He's very sick. Mary equally Um, But we can uh, be around those who are loving them and caring uh, for them. And we're going to dare to pray this morning that their life will end. Because the life that is ahead of them is so, so, so much better than these final days on this earth. So let's just be quiet as a family and pray for those amongst us who are struggling. Lord, we want to uh, pray for just some families, not these families that we've mentioned, but others in our church family who are um, really going through uh, difficult times. And some of us know, Lord, who they are. And you know, though, uh, intimately their situations. And oftentimes, Lord, we just don't know what to pray or to say, but these are wonderful encouragements in Scripture, like in Romans, when the, the Spirit groans within us with words or with groans that are too deep, too, too deep for, for words to express, but always in accordance with the perfect will of God. And so that is our confidence. But together as a church family, we bear up those who are struggling the most. And offer Dick and Mary, um, whom we value and love, we pray, Lord, that their uh, journey on this earth would come to an end. We do that always trusting to your sovereignty, always acknowledging your will, always accepting that there may be work for them to do in ways we cannot understand. But in your gracious mercy, Will you take them through the valley that they are in to glory? Lord, for those who love them best, help us to love them, care for them, watch over them, 
keep them safe and well. And we pray that the testimony of these two dear saints, Mary and Dick, will shine brightly into their families, into those who care for them. But they are not afraid to die, but they long to be with the greatest object of their love and the one who loves them the most, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Now let's turn to Luke's Gospel, to the very end of it. And uh, there's an outline on the back of the service sheet, and uh, you can uh, follow um, along. So I've got a new watch. That will uh, mean that my sermons are always shorter now. It's also got a heart rate monitor on it, and it starts beeping if I go above a certain line. So um, if that happens, I don't know what we're going to do. Now we come to the end of Luke's uh, gospel. Luke has been our companion for most of the past year both on Sundays and in our small groups through the Modo series. And the title I've given to this uh, particular study, the very end of Luke's Gospel, is Certainty About the Future. So where have we reached in Luke's Gospel, his historical record? Jesus has died, he has risen from the dead, and he is about to return to heaven. His final words to the disciples, to those who would become the apostles of the church, along with a number of others who are listening, what will happen in the future. That is the future from this point in history when Jesus has died and risen. What will happen following his watchword through Luke's Gospel? It's actually a very, um, it's a hugely challenging word and a very encouraging word that, that the, the writer of Luke's Gospel says to us, we can have certainty. That's, I find that hugely encouraging. Certainty about the things of the gospel. Certainty about the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection, that it's in fulfillment of Scripture, and that it's certainty about the future. Now, I don't want to spend hardly any time on numbers one and two on the service sheet, because they have been the two dominant notes sounded throughout the gospel. And what's fresh uh, in today's passage is certainty about the future. Certainty about Jesus' death and resurrection. Just a word on that, under point one on the, the sheet. Um, and, and really what Luke, our writer, does in chapter 24 is he makes it quite clear. He, he lays out before us um, a whole range of reasons, factual reasons, that we can be certain that Jesus did die and that he was raised from uh, the dead. Let me just point you to um, a couple of the, the, the verses. Uh, read with me again verse 36. Just, just look at the, the evidence. They were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them. Um, them are the 11. And that's the 12 disciples minus Judas now, of course plus uh, others around, plus the two men that Jesus had met on the road to Emmaus. Pretty sizable group, maybe 20, 30, 40 people who, who witnessed this, who experienced this, all of whom bore testimony to the truth of it. He said to them, peace to you. 
They were startled and frightened. That's a very uh, real and human reaction. Had Jesus risen from the dead, suddenly appeared to a group of 30 or 40 of us, our reaction would be to be startled and frightened, for they thought they saw a spirit. Jesus is now at pains to show them that he is not a spirit. Why are you troubled? Why do your doubts rise in your hearts? And then these very helpful words, I find them hugely uh, helpful. Um, especially if somebody, say you're sharing the gospel with someone and they say, look, it's all so vague and it's all a mystery and it's all this, that and the other. And you just read this and Jesus says, look, just look. Look at my hands. I must find it really moving when Jesus says, look at my hands. Because of course they've got holes in them. Look at my hands and my feet. Just look at them. Touch them. Touch me. Touch me. Touch me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. When he had said this to them, he showed them his hands and his feet. It's almost like he says, look. And he says, let me show you. It's very, very moving, very real, very visceral, almost. And while they still disbelieved for joy, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him some fish and he ate it. There's, there's nothing mysterious or mystical about Jesus. He, he's a human being, God, yes, but a human being who died and rose from the dead, and the evidence is very, very, very strong. Why, faced with the evidence, do people not believe in Jesus? Often they, I mean, it's hard to contradict the evidence. It's, it's either true or it's just a lie. But of course, never discredited by those who were there. Why do people not then believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, because it takes, as we'll see later, uh, divine revelation to open their minds. Okay, uh, second point on the sheet, certainty that Jesus' death and resurrection is in fulfillment of Scripture. All through Luke's Gospel, we've had a refrain uh, that what is happening is in fulfillment of what was uh, promised. Uh, Luke makes these uh, authorial comments. This is in fulfillment of all that is promised in the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus, throughout the gospel, have we seen constantly is referring to Old Testament books like Isaiah and the Psalms. And the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection is one thing, but the fact that it is in fulfillment of scripture tells us many things. Here are just a couple of reminders. Number one, so that we can be certain that the death and resurrection of Jesus was ordained or purposed or planned or promised by God, that it is the central event in human history. And it is the difference between something happened that um, as religious people we might put a, a kind of story on top of and construct a narrative to try to persuade people that there are answers to the biggest and darkest questions of life, as opposed to 
a central event in human history that happened exactly as Scripture prophets before the event said it would happen. It's more assurance, certainty. Second uh, reason of encouragement, so that we can be certain as to the context of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, why is humanity, we need the cross, and exactly how the death and resurrection of Jesus saves us. The Bible, Scripture, does not only tell us what happened, it tells us why it happened. And then thirdly, that we can be certain that the Scriptures we read and study and rely on and live by are the revealed Word of God. Now, let's get to number three. And the new watch is obviously working. And heart rate is 72 beats per minute. And we're at number three. Exciting. Certainty about the future in fulfillment of Scripture. Now, as we conclude Luke's Gospel, this stuff is really, really important. It's kind of seminal in all sorts of ways. We are living in that future in the age of the church. We are experiencing and living in the fulfillment of what was promised. And as much as the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is or was in fulfillment of what was promised. All that happens beyond the death and resurrection of Jesus, all that is happening gospel-wise in the world today, is also in fulfillment of Scripture. And, and as Christians, we, we live in the realm of the outworking of the purposes of God. It's very important that when we read the Bible talking about the future, we are reading about the future in fulfillment of Scripture. Now, sometimes our minds, when we contemplate that, think about well, we're living in a deterministic context that there's nothing we can do and, and God is sovereign. And I think it's sometimes difficult as we wrestle with that. But let me come at it this way. As Christians, journeying through this life, it's not down to us to determine the course of the kingdom of God. It is not down to us to determine the course of the will of God. The sovereignty of God is such a comfort and such an encouragement. Now, certainty about what? And this stuff is really seminal. Number one, that there is a gospel. So here we are. 2022, a normal church family, blessed over the past couple of months with a number of folks from Ukraine who have found their home here. And we love you and want to care for you as best as we can. 
about to send another family to somewhere else, which, humanly speaking, is a quite daft decision. What are they doing? What are we doing? And here we are at the beginning of July 2022, and as we prayed with a number of people in the church family, really believed. Does it matter that there is a gospel? Does it matter that there is good news, the good news, that humanity can be saved? Does it matter that there is a way back to God for humanity to be reconciled to God? Does it matter that there is an answer to the judgment of God that stalks every human soul in their sinfulness? There is a gospel. And there is an answer to humanity's terrible plight. And there is an answer that we laid hold of this morning to the one thing that humanity, through its own efforts, is unable to find any answer to, the problem of death. You know, when you make a comment like, there is a gospel, there are times in our life that we nod in our heads sense to the understanding of that, but there are other times in our life when we conclude, thank God there is a gospel. This is the gospel. Or, and the gospel is this. Just dwell on that word, this. The gospel is what God said. These are provocative statements, but they are wonderfully true and every single one of the statements that I'm about to make is a humble statement. So don't mishear the statement. These are humble statements because we're saying that we are submitting to what God says the gospel is. The gospel is what God says the gospel is. And God says what the gospel is in Scripture. He has revealed the gospel to us. And he has revealed the gospel to us in Scripture and in the key events in salvation history, supremely the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now that is so important and so much uh, ground for uh, certainty. It is not arrogant. It is humble to say we accept the gospel that God has revealed. The gospel is what the gospel is. There is an objective reality, an objective truth to what it is. It is what God says it is. Now, anything other than what God says the gospel is, is not the gospel. We might say that something else is the gospel. We might want something else to be the gospel. We might want to say the gospel is something other than, more than or less than what God through Scripture says it is. People will be persuaded by what we say the gospel is. People may be persuaded when we say the gospel is something other than what God said it is. But unless we say and know what the gospel is as God has revealed it, it's just not the gospel. It's not the truth. It is not the message that humanity needs. Oftentimes, if we change the gospel, it is the message that humanity wants. 
but it's not what God has said the gospel is. And therefore, it won't and it cannot save people. Now, we might say, well, it's, and I've heard this again and again over the years, it's not that simple scripture is all about interpretation. It's so easy for uh, you to say um, what the gospel is. I think the answer that I would like to have given to these questions in the past is to say to people, well, let's look at what the Bible says it is. And there are things in Scripture that it's hard to be absolutely clear on, but when it comes to the simple gospel, Scripture is crystal clear. And that question we need to keep asking as a church is, is the gospel we are speaking and teaching God's gospel? What exactly is it? Let's read verses 46 and 47. Um, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's the gospel. Christ, the word Christ, the gospel is focused on Christ. The Christ is God's Messiah King whom God will send to rescue his people. God's king is to be God's servant, the suffering servant. The Christ should, the word means must, suffer. The suffering of Christ, the Messiah, is necessary. The king must give his life. The reference to suffering here means death. The suffering servant in Isaiah, all through Luke's gospel, Jesus uses the language of Isaiah. The suffering servant in Isaiah is the Lamb of God, the one who gives his life as a ransom. The gospel is focused, therefore, on Christ, God's Messiah King, the Christ who must suffer, who must die on the cross, bearing our sin and the punishment, the wrath of God for our sin. And the Christ must rise from the dead, his resurrection declaring the victory of the cross over sin, death, and judgment, and opening the way for the believer to have eternal life with God. This is the gospel. Christ, no other, must suffer and rise from the dead. And there in the gospel necessitates on our part repentance, Repentance means turning around your life. It means turning from a life lived in rebellion, independent of God, turning to God in contrition, humility, conviction. To repent is to acknowledge before God our sinful hearts, our plight under the judgment of God. It is to acknowledge before God our desperate need of forgiveness. It is to turn to Christ for that forgiveness. And so the gospel is as far removed from a lifestyle decision or a lifestyle choice as it is possible to be. It is about reaching out to God with a desperate urgency that your life might be saved from eternal hell. Because the gospel is about the forgiveness of sins. It addresses our greatest need as humanity because our sin separates us from a holy God.
This is the gospel. Christ should suffer and rise, repentance and forgiveness of sins. And the phrase, in his name, in Jesus' name, does not mean that we proclaim the gospel in the name of Jesus. It means that proclaiming the gospel is proclaiming Jesus' name. The only name by which humanity can be saved. There is no other name than Jesus by which humanity can be saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel God has revealed to us in his word. His gospel is the gospel. We need to know it, to understand it, to learn it, to stick with it, and to speak it. Moreover, and moving on, the gospel is a message to be proclaimed from the Scriptures. And again, this is so important. The gospel is a message to be proclaimed. The gospel is not a way of life. The gospel is not our actions. The gospel is telling people about Christ, the necessity of his death, his resurrection, calling people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Now, don't mishear me. There are many things that derive from the gospel. The gospel changes people. The gospel bears fruit in their lives. They are all important. They are consequences, fruit, results of the gospel that authenticate the gospel. But the gospel, according to God, is a message to be proclaimed, spoken, taught, explained with words. That's so important. We have a message to proclaim, to tell people how they get right with God, be reconciled to Him, and be saved from their sins. Let me put it as starkly as this. If you are with someone who is leaving this world because they are dying, there is a big difference between being with them and not being with them. We need the human comfort and love, especially that human comfort and love that flows out of a converted heart. But faced with an opportunity, would you or would you not tell them as life slips from them how they can get right with God for eternity. That is the church's commission. That is what we are to do. How do we proclaim the gospel? From the scriptures, all scripture points us to Jesus. We preach scripture, the Bible, we teach the Bible, we read the Bible, and the gospel is proclaimed. That is what we are to do. And our confidence is in the Word of God, in expounding and proclaiming it, because in so doing we can be confident that we're doing what God asks us to do and that the gospel will be heard. And when you preach and teach from the Bible or try to, your confidence is that the gospel will touch the hearts of unbelievers, 
and believers and this person and that person in their needs. And then the gospel is to be proclaimed to the nations. That means every nation on the planet. It means this nation. It means other nations. One of the challenges we face as a church is that we're maxed out on global gospel partners. There are enough people now that are really stretching us that we can care for them well. So please pray for wisdom and vision for what to do when more come forward. I don't know the answer to that question, but I would be much, much more concerned to think, well, we've got our limit now and we don't do any more. God's mission is global, it is happening, it will happen, the promise will be fulfilled, the promise is being fulfilled. We must keep on sending people to the nations of the earth, and we must keep on sending people into this nation, into Scotland, and we must have the humility to occasionally go to the airport and welcome someone from another nation whom God has sent to this nation to preach the gospel. All of it attendant on as we finish the power of God. Verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Power for what? Power to proclaim. And when the gospel is proclaimed, whether in preaching or in Bible reading or in one-to-one -one conversation, and you say that it is attended by the power of God in His Spirit, it doesn't look or feel like how you would consider human power to be manifest. That's why we have to be so very careful not to manipulate or, or try to move people. But just quietly, what's going on when the gospel is explained from the Scripture is the Spirit of the living God applying with power these words to change people's lives. And not only power to proclaim, but power to understand and believe. For the evidence that establishes the fact of the death and resurrection of Jesus is compelling. But in order to see who Jesus is and to understand and believe the gospel, there needs to be divine revelation. Jesus must open your eyes. When you discover that your eyes are being opened or your ears are being unplugged and you are beginning to understand, then what is going on is you are not being persuaded by a human being. You are being persuaded by the truth of the gospel in the hands of a living God who is opening your minds and hearts to understand what will save you for all eternity. And then the last note in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is 
let me read verse 50 to 53. He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple pleasing God. The first word in Luke's gospel, the first note that is struck is certainty. The final note that is struck is joy. Certainty and joy. Certainty and joy. Why joy? Because, well, we know what to do. We know what the truth is. We just got to get on and do it. Why certainty? Well, we need certainty. We need joy. We need certainty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we conclude on Luke's gospel, that you have revealed to us in scripture and in the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus, exactly what the gospel is. Help us to hold fast to it, to speak it, to proclaim it, to the nations, to this nation, trusting that we do so in the power of God, the power to proclaim and the power to understand and believe. And may these two watch words that begin and end this Gospel of Luke be watch words that burn within us and in our church's life. Certainty, and joy. And Lord, to those who need these notes sounding in their minds and hearts today, most of all, and their families, we pray that both certainty and joy would steal upon them. For Jesus' sake. Amen.